Hey everybody, welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. Michael Walker here, your friendly neighborhood podcast producer. We love putting this show on for you, and we've been doing it now for over a year, which is just mind-blowing. And we've done it all out of pocket, because we know how important this information is. But now, we're very excited to introduce you to our very first sponsored podcast episode. This episode is brought to you by AeroSeal of Austin. It's a company that specializes in improving indoor environments by sealing ductwork. And you may not know it yet, but duct leakage can cause all sorts of problems, from uncomfortable rooms and high utility bills to indoor air quality issues. Bottom line, if you're concerned about health, comfort, safety, durability, energy efficiency, then you need a tightly sealed air distribution system. And AeroSeal delivers exactly that. Check out their website at aerosealofaustin.com. That's A-E-R-O, aerosealofaustin.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello and welcome back, everybody. I'm Christoph Irwin, and this is the Building Science Podcast from Positive Energy. Before we start, I wanted to say hello again. It's been a while. Uh, we have been crazy busy, uh, which is good. It's really good. Um, it's a good sign for the industry generally and a good sign for us, but I do miss talking to you guys. Today we have uh, just me talking to you about one of my favorite subjects, which is water and building materials, and specifically water vapor and building materials. And this all came down, call came to me because of the weather. It's June here in Austin and we have had a very rainy and relatively cool early June. And that's a big deal. That, that can be actually a challenge for the systems that we have in our buildings right now. Those of you that are longtime listeners, you know that we oft, often talk about the need for and champion the need for uh, dedicated dehumidification systems in buildings. Um, and so when we had that weather, I thought it was a good example, a good time to give you a specific example of why. So there's going to be a f some numbers coming at you here in a few minutes. Uh, so, so brace yourself. But uh, before we do the numbers, I just want to remind us of what we know. Uh, we build buildings out of... Um, Wood. A lot, there's often a lot of wood involved. And I suppose you could try to do a building without wood. But generally speaking, we use wood. And wood is an organic material, and of course it uh, can decompose and turn into other materials, you know, eventually becoming dirt. And what causes that to happen is when there are three things present. There is uh, air, which is part of the atmosphere. There is water vapor in that air, and then there's an organic material that has absorbed, oh, excuse me, adsorbed with a D, some of that water vapor. So that's what we're going to talk about, but first, the weather. So we've had some pretty cool rainy weather recently, and uh, actually today and the last few days have been back to normal, kind of hot, sunny, and hot and humid. What we've had in early June were temperatures, you know, at the hottest part of the day, which is roughly 5 o'clock here, where it was only 83 degrees out. And depending on where you're from, that might sound pretty warm, but that's not too hot here. 
but it was 75% relative humidity. So here's where the numbers start. So 83 degrees, 75% relative humidity at roughly 500 feet above sea level, which is where we are here in Austin. You can download a psychrometric app. You can look, look up, put those numbers in, and it'll tell you that the dew point, the dew point is 74 degrees Fahrenheit at those conditions. So dew point, I don't think I have to define it in terms of like what it means. If you've ever walked barefoot across uh, grass in the morning and gotten wet feet, you've experienced dew point. It's the property of a material at a given temperature to have water vapor end up on it from the air. And that's what, kind of what we're going to be talking about today. But so what's important, though, is that you could either say 83 degrees Fahrenheit at 75% relative humidity, or you could just say 74 degree dew point, and you're capturing both of those qualities. So you'll find out that a lot of your geeky friends, or you, if you are one of your geeky friends, are going to be thinking more accurately in terms of dew point when you really want to assess the properties of the air. And there's actually an even better property, and it is the number of grains of moisture per pound of dry air. Fortunately, it's expressed as grains. And uh, grains have a physical definition um, that's not based on physics, but it's based on actually grains, like grains of wheat. And the definition is that there's 7,003 grains of moisture in a pound of moisture. Roughly a pint is a pound. So you could look at a pint bottle of water or a pint glass of water and say, oh, there's, if I broke that into 7,003 pieces, that's how big a grain is. It's roughly the size of a, the O on a penny where it says one cent or a quinoa seed. But back to grains. So check this out. 83 degrees, 75% relative humidity was 74 degree dew point. That's 131 grains per pound. Gives you a better sense of what's going on if you follow grains, even better than dew point. So that was five o'clock, early June, 74 degree dew point, 131 grains. Nine o'clock that same day, it was 75 degrees Fahrenheit out at 90% relative humidity. So early in the morning, well, mid-morning, 75 degrees, 90%, that's a 72 degree dew point, right? So 75 degree air temperature, 72 degree dew point, that is pretty amazing that they're that close together. So 75 degrees Fahrenheit, 90% relative humidity, 72 degree dew point was 120 grains per pound. There you can see why grains is nice because it, you know the cool part of the morning, 120 grains, 72 dew point, Hottest part of the day, eight hours later, five o'clock. Now, the dew points only changed two degrees to 74, but the grains have gone from 120 to 131. So you can really see that there's been some dynamic movement with the grains. Um, generally speaking, dew points uh, are relatively constant all day long, um, whereas grains, you know, um, they're measuring the same thing, but they have more dynamic range. So. There's this one last set of numbers, and then we can really start to make some comparisons here. So we've got this cool, rainy weather in early summer here in Austin, and it's going from 75 degrees outside to 83 degrees outside during the course of the day. But inside, let's assume we keep the inside nice and comfortable. So 75 degrees, oh, and let's make it moderate, 60% relative humidity. That's a 60 degree dew point, right? So you remember, we just said the outdoor dew point was 72 to 74. 
Indoors, we got 60. By the way, getting to grains again, check this out, 80 grains, right? So we've gone from the lowest grains that we've talked about is this indoor grains of 80 grains per pound of dry air to the outdoor being 131. Um, and by the way, that's a driving function. That's like a ski slope, high outside, low inside. Those grains want to move from more to less, inexorable physical law. So they're going to do it. But what's more important is looking at those temperatures. So indoors, I got 75 degrees. Well, 9 o'clock in the morning, I got 75 degrees. No reason for my air conditioner to run. However, I've also got 120 grains per pound at 9 in the morning. Big reason to dry the air that's infiltrating into my house or coming in when I open the door, something like that. So 5 in the afternoon, now it's 83 degrees out. Now I've got 8 degrees of reason for my air conditioner to run. It does not take long, especially on a rainy, cloudy day, for your air conditioner to pump out of your house eight degrees of heat, making your set point satisfied, right? So herein you can see the logic. When we control humidity as a side effect of cooling the air, we don't actually control humidity. We just control temperature. This is a big deal because of, you know, as our mantra is human-factored building design, we want our buildings to be designed around human factors, and one of the big ones is indoor air quality. So if we want good indoor air quality, we don't want things in the air that make bad indoor air quality, and mold is one that makes bad indoor air quality. Uh, dust mites. Dust mites are the beginning of a, surely the middle section of a food cycle, right? You've got these mold spores. They get on the surface of the wood. The wood accumulates moisture, which we're going to talk about. And there's air there, so the mold spores start to grow. They kind of digest the wood. There's humidity around, so now we get little critters, you know, dust mites, roaches, all these little critters. All those things in the walls really are a problem for air quality, right? And, and you could think about them in your ceiling, too, because they're everywhere. They're all around our houses, particularly when there's humidity in our building assemblies. So if we want dry building assemblies, we need to have dry air inside the house, and the building assemblies will dry to the interior. So it's very important that we know what's going on when we got water in our air. Just as a point of comparison, right, we talked about a, a cloudy, rainy summer day here in Austin. Let's look at a, you know, quote, normal summer day here in Austin. It's probably going to go up close to 100 today. Um, actually, it was going to go up to 95 today, so I did the math for you ahead of time on that. At 95 degrees, it's probably going to be around 50% relative humidity. That's typical. That's a 73-degree dew point. Check that out. Very similar to the dew point when it was 83 and 75% uh, relative humidity, which was a 74 degree dew point. So hot summer day, 95 degrees out. People say, oh, it's 95, you know, 100 degrees and 100% relative humidity. Unlikely. Very, very unlikely. That, you know, might, I don't even think that happens in Dubai, that you get to those combinations of high humidity and high uh, air temperature. So 95 degrees, 50% relative humidity, that's a 73 degree dew point, and 127 grains. Once again, very similar to the 131. So, but what we've got there is we've got a 20 degree delta T. You know, that's, that's not as big as a winter uh, in a cold climate, but it is a reasonable temperature difference, and it'll run your air conditioner a lot. It'll run your air conditioner more to the extent that you have a poorly shaded or poorly insulated enclosure, poorly shaded windows or poorly insulated enclosure. In fact, our office here in uh, lovely downtown South Austin is a 1920 Shack Technology building that, that we love dearly. 
and we have a dedicated dehumidifier. And on that cloudy, cold day, it was just pumping out water. Our air conditioner wasn't running. We have a fantastic Mitsubishi P-Series air conditioner, and it was not running very much because it wasn't very hot out. But just recently, we had a big meeting over here, and it was crazy hot, and I thought, oh, let me see how the uh, dehumidifier is going now. So I have a five-gallon bucket, and the dehumidifier ends in a hose because we have it kind of set up like a HVAC lab here. Put the hose into the five-gallon bucket, waited about an hour and a half, no water. Why? It was the middle of the afternoon. There was a ton of heat and a ton of people in the space adding more heat. So our air conditioner was running at, running at full speed and dehumidifying very effectively. In fact, I went outside and looked at the condensate line and it was not dripping. It was basically a little stream of drops, just a steady like water coming out. So air conditioners definitely do their job when there's plenty of heat inside your building but that's not the norm. So let's take this a little bit deeper now. So we know we have water vapor in the air, right? Um, that's the language that's used. That's not really true. Air is air, water vapor is water vapor. They're both in the atmosphere. They're both in the room. They're both around you. Um, and they're separate. When people say, oh, it's not the heat, it's the humidity, it's actually both, right? The heat is air molecules shaking, the more they shake, the higher temperature we call them. The humidity is leveraging that shaking air. I've got all this energy, and I'm causing water vapor to heat up. Well, I'm causing water, excuse me, to heat up and go into the air as vapor. Okay, so there's an interesting property here. If you ask somebody, which is heavier, um, humid air or dry air? I think the kind of the instinctive gut response would be, oh, humid air. The actual situation is not is the opposite. That moist air is slightly lighter than dry air, and I did some math. If we uh, to illustrate this, if we had a 2,500 square foot house with nine foot ceilings, that's uh, 22,500 cubic feet of volume. I think I'll take it easy on you guys. I'll, I'll not do so many numbers, but let me just get through it. So I have a 2,500 square foot home with nine foot ceilings. And let's say now I have, I've let that peak summer condition in, 95 degrees, 50% relative humidity. That's going to have 1,500 pounds of air in it, 1,530 pounds of air to be precise, and 27.8 pounds of water in it. That's pretty amazing, right? Relatively average size house, 1,500 pounds of air and about three and a half gallons of water in it. That's if you had the outdoor conditions, 95 degrees. What if you have indoor conditions, right? The same house, 75 degrees, 60% relative humidity. Now I've got 1,600 pounds of air because it's drier. And I've only got 18 pounds of water, which is like 2.2 2 gallons, something like that. So check that out. You've got a drier air is lighter air, something to be thinking about. And what's happening is the air that has the humidity in it that's outside your house, it's trying to infiltrate in, and it really is trying to infiltrate in. It's not just sitting there passively and it happens to experience a crack and come in. Air follows the laws of physics, which is it goes from more to less. So if it's hotter out and more humid out, both of those forces are asking the air, inviting the air 
are driving the air into the house. So on its way in, it encounters building materials. And this is where the, the fun really begins. What do we build out of, right? Well, we build out of things like wood, plywood, OSB, drywall, concrete, um, cellulose is an insulation type. So we build out of materials that have two properties. One is they're porous, they're full of holes, which means the surface area is huge, right? If, if I asked you what the surface area of a two by four is, and you just looked at all the, you know, the faces and the ends, oh, that's so not the surface area of the two by four. The, surf, the two by four is filled with lumens, which are like small straws. That's how wood moves its moisture, capillarity. And each of the linings of those lumens is the surface area, right? Drywall, same thing. What's the surface area of drywall? Well, it's full of pores. The inside of all those pores is the surface area. Those pores are something like 50,000 times in a drywall pore bigger than a water molecule, right? So relative to molecular water, it's huge. So that's what water vapor is. It's, it's a molecule of water in the air and it has polarity. It ha it's magnetically charged and it sticks to the inside of all these surfaces, right? When a surface is able to bond with water at a molecular level, it's called hydrophilic. So what happens is the water is stuck to the inside of the building material or to the outside of it, any surface. Very much like if you had, um, let's see, when I was a kid, I used to play with those little, those little games where you had this bald guy and you had some graphite under like a plastic lid and you could use the magnet and uh, give him a beard or a crazy hairdo, right? Well, I would always cut him open and I would play with the graphite and the magnet directly. And you could stick the graphite to the magnet and you could like stretch it out and make these long kind of tentacles of graphite. And the graphite chunks that were really close to the magnet, they were crazy tight stuck to the magnet. But then there's a graphite chunk stuck to another graphite chunk, yada, 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 yada. You got this big chain of them. And the very end ones, you know, you could blow on them and just blow them right off. If you get that, if you can feel that in your mind's eye now, that's exactly what's going on with water, these water molecules and the building materials we have. The water molecules are stuck to the surface of the material based on their molecular attraction. And that's called adsorption with a D. Well, now I have, let's say I have a monolayer. I have a single layer of water molecules stuck to the surface of... Um, it's either a lumen inside a two by four or the pore. Let, let's say it's a pore inside sheetrock, right? So I have water molecules stuck to this inside of this pore or the paper on the sheetrock, right? It can stick to the outside of those fibers. And now another water molecule comes along in the air. Well, it can still be molecularly attracted, just like the graphite stuck to the magnet. And another one could stick to it. By the time you get about five layers out, now the water isn't acting like water vapor stuck to a material. The water vapor is in fact acting more like liquid water at that point because I have, I have all this water under it. But what just happened there when we talked about a water molecule making its way into a pore inside a piece of wood or a sheetrock or concrete, we've now come across the fourth state of matter. Uh, and it's called bound water, and it has different physical properties than water in ice, liquid, or vapor form. And, yeah, it's, it's a relatively unknown term, but it, it's super important, and it's very important for building durability, right? We need to understand the source of the need to have a building last a long time is the need to have it stay dry, or when it gets wet, gets wet to have the ability to dry out. This whole topic of bound water, adsorbed water, 
hydrophilic materials. By the way, the, the water, when it's bound to a hydrophilic material, is called hygroscopic water. Um, there's a bunch of terms here. You know, whatever. You can geek out on them to, depending on your personality. But, you know, this is a building science podcast. We're talking about buildings, and particularly we're talking about human factors, right? So what are the human factors here? We want good indoor air quality. That means we don't want these digestive processes on our building materials to be occurring. We, you know, building materials aside, we don't want these digestive processes to be occurring on the dust that we bring into our homes or that makes its way into our homes. We want our air to be clean, which means we want our air to be dry. Um, now, of course, there's a winter extreme, but let's just keep it for summer in Austin. It's, it's basically unheard of that you're going to get lower than 20% relative humidity inside of too dry of air. But it's important to recognize that the health and the comfort of our buildings, as well as the durability of our buildings, are directly dependent on the systems that we use to maintain those properties, right? And so what we have is a system where building physics has changed as building codes and building practices and materials have changed. And largely, I mean, think about your own home, think about your friends, largely, we're not paying attention to those changes when it comes to the systems that we put into our homes. And the people that we turn to for the information for those systems are still, I don't know, they're still getting slow to give you the message that you need a dedicated dehumidifier. I would encourage all of you to email me after you do this little experiment. Call in uh, three different air conditioning repair guys and see how many of them recommend a dedicated humidity control system for your house. Okay, so I have a couple, like a comment to extend on that one, and it is that this is important. You know, it's a little geeky, especially when you got someone like me putting all the numbers to it. But beyond the geekiness is the, the stark reality of we need to have a good and successful strategy for maintaining health, comfort, and durability in our buildings. And we need to be mindful of where we turn for information for that strategy. And you can hear I'm tippy-toeing over my words here because the company is positive energy. I'm very hopeful about the build environment. It's ready to change. And I just want us all to be mindful on who we talk to and who we turn to for information. Um, I think that it might be the case that you will listen to me for the podcast because it's entertaining. But then when it comes to getting advice on your home, you'll listen to someone else's opinion and maybe not. Maybe decide, ah, no, I don't need a dedicated dehumidifier. Um, I can tell you that those of us here at the office, we have an Ultra Air 98H installed upstairs. That's a 98 pints per day, and the H is for horizontal. And oh my goodness, bomber difference. Absolute stark difference. I, uh, I come from my house. I happen to work, have a very short commute. I have to walk across a street as my commute. And so I leave my house, which feels all right because I've been in there all night, and come into the office and immediately I'm struck by the fact that I have just spent the evening and morning in a cold, relatively cold and clammy house. And I, you know, put it this way, I, I keep my house at 78, so it's not like I keep it super cold. But certainly at 78, I'm not controlling the moisture. So my wife and I are both sold. We are ready for, an, for a dehumidifier, a dedicated dehumidifier. By the way, another indoor quality benefit, these dehumidifiers, the whole name is, you know, ventilating, whole house, ducted, dehumidification system, right? And you piggyback, you can piggyback off of the existing ductwork, so you don't have to install that. But now just tiny bit more numbers if you just humor me a little bit here. So we've been talking about this 2,500 square foot house. It holds 
about 1,500 pounds of air. So what we need to realize is every, roughly every 14 cubic feet of air, which is not that big. It's like a dorm refrigerator, right? It's, it's really not that many cubic feet. That's a pound of air. So every time you see 14 feet, so let's say you have, you know, you have a two foot by two foot square on the floor. That's four feet and you need to get to 14. So two feet by two feet, four feet high. That's 16 cubic feet, so it's not that much. And what's important about that, and this ties into dehumidification and air conditioning, is that when we have an air conditioner, like a typical, like so a 2,500 square foot house is probably gonna have like a three ton air conditioner. Maybe more, but hopefully not much more. So that three ton air conditioner, it's gonna run on average, it's gonna move on average about 1,200 CFM. It's 14, excuse me, 400 cubic feet per minute per ton. It just happens to be the way we have started to make these machines. It's, it's a fairly accurate, no, it actually has to do with heat transfer and humidity control, but let's just go with three ton air conditioner is gonna move 1200 cubic feet of air per minute, right? That's almost 90 pounds of air per minute. You heard that right, 90 pounds of air per minute. Based on the cooling degree days and heating degree days, that system's gonna run about nine hours a day. Um, and you know, maybe less. It, like obviously on those days where it was cold and rainy, it's gonna run less. Well, at nine hours a day, at 1200 CFM, I'm gonna move almost 47,000 pounds of air that day through my air conditioner. Yeah, 47,000 pounds of air. You know, when we say, oh, the air conditioner, oh, it, we lament how much energy it uses, well, what are we asking it to do, right? It's a monster pump. It's more of moving, you know, 20 tons of air, more than 20 tons of air a day. But let's look at a DHU, right? This 98H that's upstairs, it's gonna move around more like 300 CFM, right? Which is only 20 pounds a minute. And then, based on some experience, I can tell you it's gonna run roughly a fifth. It depends on a lot of factors, the infiltration and all these things. But if it runs roughly a fifth of the air conditioner time, it's only gonna move 2,400 pounds of air that day, right? So therein lies one of the good, another good reason to have this dedicated dehumidification system, which is that I can have comfort and health without moving 47,000 pounds of air. I don't need to run as big of a pump. Now, I'm sure some of you, I hope some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about variable capacity equipment? It should run more and therefore dehumidify more. And that's true. It is slightly better at dehumidifying the air. It does have a dry mode. We'll talk about dry mode in a minute. But though it's slightly better at dehumidifying the air, you can't forget, and it seems like a lot of people try to forget, <laughs> that the purpose of an air conditioner, whether it's variable capacity or not, is to cool the air to the comfortable set point temperature. So the amount of dehumidification I have, this is an important topic here, concept here, the amount of dehumidification I'm gonna get is gonna depend on how much cooling I give the air. So whether it's delivered by variable capacity or fixed capacity, I got a certain amount of cooling to impart to my air and that's gonna cause a certain amount of water vapor to, to, the, to a first order, it's gonna be roughly the same. Now VRF's gonna run longer, it's gonna have some different coil temperatures, so it does have a slightly enhanced ability to dehumidify. Dehu uh, VRF equipment also has dry mode. Dry mode is a big deal. What it is is a very cold coil, very low airspeed, so it's doing a fantastic job of dehumidifying the air. It is also doing a fantastic job, what did I just say? Very cold coil. It's also doing a fantastic job of cooling the air. So when you put a system into dry mode, it will overcool the air. Same thing for the humidistats that are out there. Many manufacturers have these humidistats, and they say, oh, we don't need a dehumidifier, I'll control humidity. Well, 
you will, but you will also either overcool the air to, to get to the humidity target that you want, or you won't overcool the air and you won't get to your humidity target, right? And typically what they do is they say, okay, I'm allowing a three or a five degree below temperature set point swing in order to control humidity. And, and for the most part, actually, that works. Uh, it, it is a slight hit on comfort. It's also a big hit on, on uh, energy. If you just go through the manufacturer's numbers and you look at some of the capacities for sensible, which is temperature, and latent, which is humidity, control, you'll find out that the average dehumidifier, the average dehumidifier, I was going to say, is three to five times more efficient at pulling moisture out of the air than an air conditioner. So another way to say that is, if I give a dehumidifier one kilowatt hour of energy, and I give an air conditioner one kilowatt hour of energy, I'm going to get three to five times the moisture out of the dehumidifier. I mean, it's made to dehumidify. It's got different characteristics of... Um, Actually, mainly the physical characteristics of the coil. Coil meaning like the radiator in your car would be called a coil if it were an air conditioning uh, component. So I think I'm wrapping up there. I hope that was interesting. And I want to make sure to end telling you that this is not irrelevant, right? This is your health and comfort. This is the durability of your buildings. And we need to make our systems pay attention to the actual physical laws that we're operating in, which have... Uh, not changed, although the building physics has changed. So, thanks again for your time and attention. We'll be back next time. Take care. Bye. Okay, wait. Wait, Michael. Do you think well, I got something that maybe the super geeks might appreciate? Should I put this in? Yeah, they're probably the only ones that are still listening at this point. All right, good. Okay, so, so I was getting into those numbers, right? So let's go back into them again. Crazy hot, humid summer condition in Austin. We're going to call it 95 degrees, 50% relative humidity. Remember, it was 73.5 grains, excuse me, 73.5 degree dew point, numbers on the mind, 127 grains, a couple other numbers I want to point out to you. One is the what's called the specific volume, and this is the volume of air that equals a pound of air. It was 14.7. So compare that 14.7 to the indoor air, which was only 14.0, right? So now we see it, the humid air, on a volume basis, I needed 14.7 cubic feet of humid outdoor air to weigh the same as only 14 cubic feet of indoor air. So that's one thing that's interesting. But more interesting to me is this is this other number, and it's called enthalpy. And enthalpy is one of those number words that I can tell you from experience, from personal experience, it used to be a word that I would hear and my brain would slam shut, and I would just hope I didn't get asked about it on the test. But when you hear someone say, it's not the heat, it's the humidity, if you want to be an annoying geek, you can say, no, it's actually both, and that's because it's the enthalpy. So the enthalpy is the energy in the air, and the energy in the air is what? It's how much the air is vibrating, plus how much of the vibration has been given up to pull water vapor, you know, to take liquid water and create, I should say, to take liquid water and create water vapor in the air. And, you know, the... The visual I have on this is if you can remember those ping pong ball uh, lottery selection machines. I don't know if they still have those, but imagine one of these like air-based ping pong ball machines and you have just filled the sucker with ping pong balls, like let's say white ping pong balls representing air, and you have the fan speed on high, and then you can get into the top and you can magically drop several blue ping pong balls on top of this whirling cloud of white ping pong balls. So what you've got is 
all the energy in the white ping pong balls are keeping those blue ping, ping pong balls in the air. Well, now you turn the fan speed down. That's like turning the temperature down. Those white ping pong balls are going to move less and less and less. And eventually, those blue ping pong balls are going to find gaps and they're going to fall through. That is a decent metaphor for heat keeping moisture, water, liquid water, in vapor form, right? So when you turn the heat down, you, the water will transition. It will fall from vapor back to liquid. Okay, so what's interesting about enthalpy is that when we talk about comfortable indoor conditions, you know, we talk about 75 degrees, 60% RH, you can go to 78 degrees at 50% RH, you can move all around. The enthalpy is 30 BTUs of energy per pound of dry air. So when you, whenever you're near 30, you're going to be comfortable. So it's this interesting thing. I mean, not there's some extremes, but generally speaking, comfort could be equated to, oh, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. Actually, it's both. It's the enthalpy, and we could have this one number. So those of you Uber geeks who have listened through to this part, I'm sending you a high five, and I encourage you to download a psychrometric app. That's psychrometric, P-S-Y-C-H-R, psychrometric. And... Uh, you know, when you see the temperature and relative humidity outside, start looking at all the numbers you can get out of that. You can get the dew point, you can get the grains, you can get the specific volume, and you can get the enthalpy. And you start getting a feeling for that, and you really start to understand what's going on in your house and outside your house. Okay, and with that, I'll call that the very end, Uber Geeks included. Bye, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Building Science Podcast, brought to you by AeroSeal of Austin. Be sure to check them out at AeroSealofAustin.com, and be sure to mention that you heard about them on the show when you talk to them. This show is a labor of love, so if you love it, be sure to go to our website at PositiveEnergy.pro and click the Donate button at the bottom of the page to show us a little love. Our passion, some great sponsors, and generous listeners like you make this possible, and we thank you for your support.